Chapter 7 of Darkness and Daylight, or Lights and Shadows of New York Life. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rita Boutros. Darkness and Daylight, or Lights and Shadows of New York Life. Chapter 7 the open doors of mercy the society for the prevention of cruelty to children brutes in human form the demon of drink rescue work by helen campbell the brutal american is of the rarest it is because new york is less an american city than almost any other in the united states that the need for the society for the prevention of cruelty to children was so sore as the foreign element increased and every form of ignorance with it drunkenness as well as natural brutality worked together women no less than men were guilty of almost unspeakable crimes toward helpless childhood but no law then in existence allowed of interference between parent and child if screams resounded through a tenement house it was taken for granted that the child deserved all it got and more and if it were a case of beating by drunken father or mother the neighbors simply counseled hiding or in extreme cases running away so it went on till eighteen seventy five the frightful increase of brutality to animals had resulted in the formation of the society for the prevention of cruelty to animals a step which was long opposed on the ground that it interfered with the right of the individual to do what seemed best with one's own by this time however it had demonstrated its necessity and gained public respect and sympathy in a fashion that has never ceased but for the children there was neither help nor protection what began it open the door of the gallery of hundreds of photographs to be seen by all in the president's room at the headquarters of the society and heading the list on the first leaf of the great frame is a child's face that is mary ellen the attendant states as if the name explained itself as easily as if he had said that is victoria or the princess of wales yes mary ellen began it and this is how late in eighteen seventy four on the top floor of a wretched tenement house in the fourth ward a dying woman lay in the last stages of consumption with the horror of the very poor for all hospitals she had refused to be taken to one and lay there dying by inches and visited by the city missionary a woman beloved by protestant and catholic alike is there anything i can do for you she questioned one day and the woman answered my time is short and it don't make much difference for me but oh can't you do something for that poor little girl next door i can't die in peace while they beat her so she screams so that some have tried to get at her but she's always locked up it's her stepmother does it can't something be done the missionary sent to the police station and her story was listened to with the respect she had earned but the captain shook his head 
"'You must furnish evidence of assault before we can arrest,' he said. "'Unless you can prove that an offence has been committed, we can't interfere, and all you know is only hearsay.' A series of visits to different benevolent societies charged with the care of children brought the same reply from all. If the child is legally brought to us under an order of the court and is a proper subject, we will take it. Otherwise we cannot act in the matter. Hampered thus on every side, she went next to several well-known charitable gentlemen and asked what could be done. From each and all came the same reply. It is a dangerous thing to interfere between parent and child. You might get yourself into trouble if you did so, as parents are proverbially the best guardians of their children. Day after day the piteous appeal of the dying woman went on. I can't die till something is done. The child is being murdered by inches. Till at last, in desperation, the missionary said, I must make one more effort. There is one man in New York who has never turned a deaf ear to the cry of the helpless, and who has spent his life in just this work for the benefit of unoffending animals. I will go to Henry Berg. She went, and Mr. Berg, who knew the force of law, turned at once to his friend, the counsel for the society, Mr. Elbridge T. Jerry. To interfere unless backed by the law might mean death or something worse for the child. But after much consultation, Mr. Jerry decided that if there was no law, the time had certainly come where there must be one, and that this should be made a test case. As he himself assumed all responsibility, a warrant was granted and the person of the child secured. The hour for holding court was near, and the lawyer and officers alike looked dubiously at their tiny client, a child of six, with matted hair, covered with filth, alive with vermin, and her few rags insufficient to hide her starved and beaten little body, a mass of livid bruises. A blanket was brought, and the child rolled in it and in the officer's arms the strange bundle was brought into court, followed by a curious throng who wondered what the tall and elegant counsel might have on his hands now. The case was called, and Mr. Jerry, stepping forward, announced that he was present with his client, and, unrolling the blanket, placed the child on the table where all could see. A murmur of pity and indignation went up as the scared little thing looked around in terror. A thousand witnesses could not have spoken so forcibly as the one look that showed what life had done for her thus far. The judge made small delay, and the child was transferred temporarily to the custody of the Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, till Mrs. Wheeler, the missionary, herself decided to take her in charge. As if by magic, a flood of such cases poured in. The news of the trial had spread through every court and alley, not only in the fourth ward, but throughout all the poor quarters of the city, and an appalling list of outrages and abuses mounted up. 
mothers came to show blood-stained clubs and bent pokers with which drunken fathers had assailed helpless little ones the children themselves bruised gashed often maimed for life were brought in evidence it was impossible for mr berg or his aides already overworked to do justice even in faint degree to the crowding claims and very shortly followed the creation and speedy incorporation of the society for the prevention of cruelty to children the first of its kind in the world one most notable feature of the work was its effect upon child beggary these children having to a great extent disappeared from the streets miserable little girls compelled to sell flowers at the doors of places of vile resort their business being often a cover for vile practices no longer linger there night after night everyone who reads the daily papers will day after day find therein reports of the cases prosecuted and the details of the rescue of hundreds of children from lives of pauperism and crime the shameful exhibition of little children in acrobatic performances dangerous to life and limb has been wholly suppressed and juvenile opera troupes in which children of a tender age are compelled night after night to lose their natural rest in order to put money into the pockets of avaricious managers and thoughtless parents have been broken up the year eighteen seventy nine saw one of the most vital pieces of work ever accomplished by this society for years previously an organized system had existed by which miserable little italian children were sold by their parents and relatives into a state of bondage as bad as and in some features worse than any phase of slavery men known as padroni went to italy and bought up little peasant children in troops under pretense of teaching them music they were then shipped to america and compelled to work in the streets and highways of the country as wandering musicians and peddlers while their entire earnings were seized and squandered by the human brutes who beat and tortured them till they dared not complain more helpless than others because ignorant of english these children suffered on till one who had picked up enough to understand heard that the society existed and with two of his companions decided to appeal to the italian consul-general and through him to the society the results were beyond the wildest hopes of the forlorn little exiles who were the last to suffer under the shameful oppression of the first years of italian immigration another engine potent for good was enlisted in the service of the society its first use being in the report for eighteen eighty seven so long as the few woodcuts given as portraits of the children were the work of any artist on illustrated journals the defendants in special cases were always able to urge the plea oh the child never looked like that the artist touched up the sketch so as to make it as sensational as possible 
over and over again have the lawyers of the tombs urged this in behalf of their clients and even at times moved the jury to momentary conviction that they must be right but with the advent of the portable camera and even before this ally of the detective had reached such perfection came the possibility of showing things in their actual condition at the hour of appeal or of transfer to the society the report for eighteen eighty seven with its half-dozen illustrative pictures needs no other recommendation of its work cases as sad and as full of shame and horror that such evils could exist are on the pages of each and all year after year giving glimpses of a life hardly credible in a civilized community but seldom had such reality looked from the printed page as faced one in the picture of little antonia cava a seven-year-old child who for a year after the mother had forsaken husband and children had been in the care of a woman living in the great bend on mulberry street in this case an anonymous letter called the attention of the society to the case the woman whose husband kept a stale beer dive drank and the two had spent their drunken fury on the child who when found was a wild-eyed creature shrinking in abject terror from whoever came near she had reason her hair was matted with blood and her face arms and body were covered with wounds around which the blood had dried and remained a few rags of clothing could not hide the hideous bruises and yet a lovely face was hidden under this mask of filth and clotted blood transferred as is the custom of the society to those of her own faith the sisters of st dominic have good reason to be proud of this marvellous change no greater however than that encountered a little farther on here is a boy barely ten years old whose left eye is nearly destroyed and whose ears have been partially torn from his head by a drunken father who at the same time threw the eighteen months baby across the room and beat his wife till she escaped and ran to the street for help this man already on the society's books was sentenced for one year and the judge regretted that he could not order a hundred lashes in addition next follows a case numbered twenty three thousand eight hundred ninety one in the report an anonymous communication received by the society stated that a child of six years living with her father and stepmother at number four o three east one hundred and twenty first street was inhumanely treated an officer called at the apartments and found jenny lewis a tiny frail child six years of age upon her knees brush in hand scrubbing the floor her face covered with bruises mamma has gone out walking she said please go away for if she comes back and finds i have let anyone in she will beat me and the little form shivered from fright the officer tried to quiet her by assurances that she should not be hurt 
her face and body were much discoloured and covered with bruises and her emaciated arms were patched with red spots from pinches the child at last told her sad story she once had her own mother but did not know where she was now her papa's name was mr white now but it used to be mr lewis her own mamma who she added is dead i guess was good to her but this one beat her and never let her go downstairs and yesterday she took me by the hair and jammed my face on the floor that's why it looks so now and then with a frightened start she added you must go now or i will get beat again examination showed that the father had abandoned his wife and taken the child going off with another woman the child's real mother who had searched for her in anguish knew nothing of her whereabouts until the newspapers published reports of the case as prosecuted by the society when still hoping to find her child she inquired at the society's office and learned the whole truth the mother rejoiced as over one risen from the dead and as she proved honest and worthy the society gave her the custody of the child injured it may be for life in weakened body and crushed spirit but at least certain of love and care turn now to the gallery in the president's room in the society's building at twenty-third street and fourth avenue here is an arrangement like that of the rogues gallery at the police headquarters and though it is impossible to give every case all the representative ones may be looked at in turn before and after is the order of the photographs but often there is no after save that brought by merciful death here on a soap-box is a picture of the body of an eleven months baby starved to death by a drunken mother the little frame is only a skeleton and the pitiful face has a strange smile as if of triumph at escape near it is the figure of a seven-year-old child found far uptown on the east side with her hands tied with a bit of old rope cutting into old sores body head and face were covered with bruises and cuts many of them fresh and bleeding this had been done by a drunken father and stepmother who had also nearly starved her and an indignant policeman on the beat had taken the law into his own hands and arrested both without waiting for any process both were convicted and the child herself recovered with that marvellous recuperative power of even the most defrauded childhood and looks out with happy eyes from the photograph taken a few weeks later farther on one encounters the photographs of two street arabs brothers john and willie d two small beggars made so by their father whose only object in life was discovered to be that of getting enough money to keep him in lager beer the boys were arrested and held for examination until an investigation could be made of their home and surroundings their father was found in the upper room of a tenement house where he had his home if such it could be called 
his wife dead, and a daughter of twelve years his only housekeeper. The boys kept the family in food by their begging expeditions, often sleeping out nights in boxes or hogsheads. Neither ever attended school, nor could they read or write. Beaten when they failed to beg enough, the ragged little fellows plied their trade till rescued and committed to the care of the juvenile asylum where hundreds of their kind have found refuge. An officer of the society, patrolling the streets in Harlem for just such cases, found on one of the stormiest days of winter a little child of ten, half-naked and begging from door to door with the old story of drunken parents, who found in his pitiful face their fund for drinking. It is a matter of daily occurrence, yet the sadness is never less, for each case holds new forms of barbarity and outrage, and accustomed as the officers are to every phase of wrong that unhappy childhood can suffer, it is impossible to grow callous or indifferent. Turning the leaves of this wonderful photographic record, the beauty of many of the children is a constant surprise. Especially is this true of the many English children brought over in acrobatic troops, many of whom are as fair as those far-remote ancestors whom the good bishop looked upon as well-nigh angels rather than captive Anglo-Saxons. Americans are few till we come to older girls, and here the saddest stories begin, for many have been rescued from lives of shame to which they have often been sold by infamous parents or relatives. Here are faces so fair that they might have come from the highest ranks of society, and each has its tale impossible to give here. Some are now happy wives and mothers. Others have yielded to care, and for a time welcomed better life. Then, through sudden temptation, have fallen, often to be called back again and again, till lost to sight in the underworld in which a part of the great city dwells. Take a day of the society's work, as it goes on from hour to hour, before all who care to watch. Day and night alike the doors stand open, for night is the time in which drunkenness most abounds, and with it the beatings and assaults that give the society its most frequent cause of interference. Entering the great old-fashioned house, giving barely room for all that must be done, we find the chief office or bureau of reception in a small outer room, where several clerks are at hand to receive applications or complaints, or inquiries as to the welfare of cases already received and provided for. Here come the patrols of the society with street waifs driven out by cruel parents, or the policemen who have interfered in cases of special brutality. Here, too, is the telephone through which sounds many a cry for help and demand for instant sending of an officer of the society, whose badge takes him safely into the worst localities. 
Each case, as it appears, is registered in the great books, and then handed over to the matron and attendants in the temporary home, where all are kept till the case is tried if necessary, or the child transferred to an asylum or protectory. Between forty and fifty can be housed and fed, for the upper part of the building is fitted up with dormitories for boys and girls, and a bedroom or two for special cases. There is also a great wardrobe lined with shelves on which multitudes of garments await wearers. Dining rooms, kitchen and laundry, with play and sitting rooms, all of spotless neatness. The rows of snow-white little beds can hardly be matched by any other hospital or asylum in all the long list, the matron seeming to have a positive genius for cleanliness. Day or night, the usually half-starved child, for starvation is part of the torture of such lives till the society comes to the rescue, is sure of a meal, bread, milk, and light food being always in readiness. Here, as eleven o'clock strikes, is led in, stumbling from weakness, and half blind from a deep cut over the eye, a boy of ten. There is a cut on his head, too, about which the hair is matted, and bruises at every point where a bruise can show. Michael Nevins, recites the officer to the waiting clerk, found on a grating in Anne Street, driven out by a drunken father after a beating. Father arrested, and to answer to-morrow morning in the tomb's court. Down go name, age, etc., and a door opens at the end of the partition, and the matron takes the boy's hand. A look from her is sufficient. Everything must be burned, she exclaims. He is alive. The alive means not the child, who truly seems half dead, but the vermin that a moment's inspection shows are swarming all over the wretched little figure. Sometimes it is possible to wash the clothing, but generally it goes at once into the furnace, says the attendant, and we follow for a moment and look into the bathroom, marble-lined halfway to the ceiling, with porcelain-lined tubs, not a pipe concealed, and every precaution against either vermin or possibility of contagion provided for perfectly. Often the head must be shaved and generally doused with larkspur tincture, the only effectual destroyer of the pests for head and body. One well-known druggist makes his contribution to the society in the form of gallons of larkspur, which is used with a freedom born of long experience. Often this bath is the first the child has ever known, and as the casing of dirt dissolves, the little bodies show strangely perfect and lovely, even with the hideous life that has been theirs from the beginning but most frequently they are so scarred and marred with such pitiable bruises, cuts, and sores that the tenderest handling is required. Wounds are dressed, bruises treated, and after as large a meal as is deemed good, the child, stupefied with wonder at the whole process, and often crying for joy, is put in one of the little white beds, 
and sleep such sleep as it has never known, waking incredulous to find that food and warmth and comfort are not dreams but happy realities. Returning to the office when the processes just described have been completed, we find that two little girls, abandoned by a drunken mother and half-starved, have just been brought in. They are comfortably dressed and less dirty than would be expected after two days in the street, but the same processes are necessary, and they disappear through the waiting doorway, looking shyly up in the matron's face. As they pass within, a tall policeman appears, bearing a two-years-old baby, mute from fear, and not only half-naked, but covered with bruises. Its mother is well known. Most of her time is spent on the island, a drunken spree as soon as she comes out from serving one sentence, sending her back to serve another. There were some older ones who care for the smaller children, seven in all, but Anne had been specially active this time, and had beaten every child who did not have presence of mind enough to escape, ending with the baby, whose pitiful screams had drawn in the nearest policeman. He tells his tale, and the baby passes in for its share in the blessedness the others have found. Unspeakable are many of the tales that one must hear. Atrocious assaults occur of so gross a nature that it seems impossible to credit the hideous details. One little thing of six is brought up from a sailor's boarding-house in the fourth ward, a basement in which, during her short years, she has witnessed nightly orgies of drunken women and sailors. She has innocent blue eyes and a delicate face, but is a mass of filth neglected from babyhood. An hour later she lies in a little white bed, as fair a face as child could own, and smiles up at the matron with a look so sweet that one marvels how such a lily can have sprung from such a dung heap. But it happens more often than one would think, and the little lives grow into gentle girlhood, and in more than one case happy and prosperous after days, in which their own children bear no taint of the foulness left behind. Still another class of cases are children arrested as they are entering or leaving liquor saloons to which they have been sent to buy drink. The law providing for such cases was enacted some years since, and makes it an indictable offense to sell liquor in this way. But the proprietors of cheap saloons do it persistently, asking no questions and taking their chances of prosecution. Hundreds of children are employed in this way, and many of them find their way at last to the society. This was the case with two or three brought in, and passed on to the shelter of the home, till their cases could be decided. From the Chinese quarter, where unspeakable outrage goes on, came one, a baby of three, 
the child of an Irishwoman and a Chinaman, dressed in Chinese costume, and a subject of fierce dispute in these unsavory regions, as the Chinaman wished to send her to China, and had planned to do so when the society was notified and interfered. Some of these waifs are as fierce and wild as starved dogs, but for the most part they are silent, scared, trembling little wretches covered with bruises, knowing no argument but the strap, and looking with feeble interest at the large collection at the society's headquarters of whips, knives, canes, broomsticks, and all the weapons employed in torture, many of them still blood-stained or bent from the force of the blows given. There they hang on the wall of the inner room, a perpetual appeal to all who look to aid in the work of rescue and make such barbarity forevermore impossible. Face after face comes up, each one an added protest against the misery it has known. Here is little Nellie Brady, with hair a painter would gaze at with delight, found hungry and abandoned, wandering in the streets. The gallery of photographs shows what one day of care had brought about, and gives a face full of sweetness and promise, like hundreds of others in like case. What has been the actually accomplished work of the society? During the sixteen years of its existence, it has investigated nearly fifty-five thousand complaints involving about a hundred and sixty thousand children. Of these complaints, over eighteen thousand cases have been prosecuted, over seventeen thousand five hundred convictions secured, about thirty thousand children relieved and rescued. 7,500 sheltered, fed, and clothed in its reception rooms, and upwards of 70,000 meals furnished. By its action and example, 227 societies have been organized and are now in active operation throughout the world, working in unison with it. It has framed and secured the passage of laws for the protection and preservation of children, which have been copied and reenacted not only throughout the United States, but in Europe. And it enforces those laws by the prosecution of offenders with a vigor which has made it a terror to every cruel brute. Its work never ceases by day or night, during summer or winter. End of chapter 7